Thank you for being here tonight. Last week we considered a, a mountaintop experience with God that uh, occurred at that place in the Bible called Mount Horeb, the very site where, uh, where Moses met God at the burning bush. And that was just the beginning of God's purpose with his people because God told Moses at the burning bush, he said, look, this is going to be the sign that I sent you. When you lead the people out of Egypt, you're going to worship me at this mountain. Now, what the Lord was telling them is that they were going to have a defining experience of worship. It would define them for the rest of their history, really. And not only them, but it would define God's people. It would, it would be, for a time, the standard of what God's people ought to expect in worship. And we're going to look again at that defining experience of worship. It's in the book of Exodus, uh, and it's in chapter uh, 19 of Exodus, verse 10 through, uh, through verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely be stoned or shot through, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Man, that was an awesome experience. You can, you can feel the weight of it, the, the emotion of it, the excitement of it, really the terror of it as we read that passage of Scripture. Several things very quickly. First, these people were to be prepared for worship. They were to be prepared for worship. That's not only true for them, that's also true for us. Whenever we come together as God's people, there's a preparation that needs to be made. Second, they were to be, there was a cleansing that preceded worship. Now, the fact of the matter is, none of us are ever going to be completely cleansed, not in this life. But one of the things that we can do as we get ready to approach God, we can ask God to cleanse us of all known sin and to reveal to us anything that might separate us from an encounter with him. So there was preparation, and there was cleansing, and then there were boundaries that were to be set. This, this was not going, they were not going to a picnic. This was not a hoedown. 
This was not a party. This was an encounter with God who Moses would later say is majestic in holiness and awesome in glory. Now Moses had already experienced God at the burning bush at this same mountain. But when Moses came back to the mountain, even Moses, even Moses, having already encountered God, was shocked by this experience with God. So they learned next that approaching God was dreadful and dangerous. I think that the devil has tricked us into believing that worship is trite and trivial and just an inconvenience in the course of our week, but nothing that requires heart or holiness or, or, or a sense of heaviness or dread like that that was experienced here. This, this experience of worship they had was at the same time awesome and awful. It set fear in their hearts. And so let me remind you that, that even when the glory of God descended on the tabernacle in the wilderness, when the pillar of fire came and the, and the glory cloud descended on the tabernacle in the wilderness, it did not equal this experience on Mount Sinai. Even when Solomon dedicated the temple, and the Bible says that the glory of God filled the temple so that the priest could not enter the temple to minister. The glory of God filled the house, but it did not equal this experience on Mount Sinai. One of the things that we see here also in this passage of Scripture, this is the next point, when there is a prepared people who have set themselves apart to meet with God, God comes down. God comes down in response to worship, but not because of worship. You don't sing God down. That's a mistake. Only through Christ can we approach God. We don't approach Christ through our singing, through, or we don't approach God through our singing or through our worship, but God comes down in response to worship. So we asked a question last week, and simply we're reviewing. Is this... Is this, then, the pinnacle of worship in the Bible? No, it is not the pinnacle. Now, you think, and sometimes I, I preach a sermon, and I love to preach on when the glory of God came down in the temple, and there was glory in the house, and every preacher has preached a sermon on that, and how we anticipate that when we gather, and we should anticipate that, and we should pray for that when we gather together, but that's not the pinnacle and here at Mount Sinai, this is not the pinnacle. The Old Testament experience of worship does not compare with our own opportunity to experience God. That is the point that we tried to make last week. And so now we turn just a little bit in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, we read there in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, beginning to verse 18, the writer of Hebrews compares the two. He sets them side by side. He sets side by side. This, this, this moment when Moses and the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai and this opportunity that you and I have to be together, to be together in God's presence. Remember, he's setting these side by side. He's comparing them one to another. And what he's telling us as I read the scripture again, we read it last Sunday night, is that they don't compare. They don't begin to compare. He says, and he reminds us, for you, 
have not come to a mountain that can be touched. That's not where we are. We've not come to a blazing fire. That's not where we are. We've not come to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. That's not where we are. We've not come to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which were such that those who heard them begged that no further word be spoken to them for they could not bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. That's not where we are. And so terrible was the sight that Moses, Moses, Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. I'd like to be there, but that's not where we are. That's the point of the New Testament here. He says in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous, the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And the blood of Abel cried out for justice, but the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. And so on the basis of that, we stand on holier ground than Moses stood and on holier ground than these people stood. And as a result of that, in verses 28 and 29, he says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When we come to church... You think that we can just walk in and sit down and baby let your hair hang down? No. No more than they could just do that. God said, let them come prepared. Get ready. Spend three days getting ready. Be careful. Don't touch anything. This is going to be an awesome, holy experience. Dangerous, dreadful, but wonderful all at the same time. And Moses said, our experience it's greater. It's a greater opportunity. Our worship is to be recognizably shaped by an understanding of the holiness of God. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And now we come to the message tonight. Now, the first Sunday, we defined worship. The second Sunday, we said we are to be defined by worship. But tonight, we look at defiling worship. Because you don't have to go very far from Mount Sinai to find the defiling worship. Look at uh, what Jesus said. I want to just read it to you for just a moment in helping us understand the right kind of worship. And he had this conversation with the woman at the well. And the woman said to him, Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews claim that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when neither you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father 
in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Did you notice Jesus said two things? Worship in the spirit must be guided by the spirit, and worship in the truth must be guided by the truth. And remember, worship is about God it is for God, it honors God, and it glorifies God, and is directed to God alone. It is not for us, it is not intended to please us, and when it, it is about something else, it has ceased to be the defining worship modeled in Mount Sinai and in the book of Hebrews, and has quickly become defiling worship. Here's the first characteristic of defiling worship, and we're going to find this experience in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 10, defiling worship has its source in the wrong views of God. It replaces God with a substitute. What would be a good substitute for God? Something shiny and golden, maybe? Would you think? Would that be a good substitute for God? Uh, a substitute for God would be maybe some stained glass windows and uh, some lights. A substitute for God might be a pipe organ. A substitute for God, would you think, what would, I'm talking, just trying to ponder what might be a good, how about some good singing? Good singing. Is that a substitute for God? Well, they didn't have the pipe organ and they didn't have the stained, window, stained glass windows, but they did have something shiny and golden and they did have some good singing better than you think. So, let's look at it. Verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, where do you think he was? Still on Mount Sinai. Moses had gone up to God when the long trumpet blast, that trumpet, 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 Moses said, said something. He said, God, I can't stand it. And the Lord answered him with thunder. I don't know what he said. Maybe he said hallelujah. I don't know what he said. But the Lord answered him with thunder, and Moses is still up there. You remember he was up there, what, 40 days and 40 nights? And so the people got a little anxious, and they said to Aaron, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears, brought them to Aaron, he took this from their hand, and of course, you know, he fashioned it into a golden calf. And when he built the golden calf, then Aaron said, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. And he also said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Never, never missed a beat. This is the God who brought you up. This is what he looks like. This is, this is who he is. And so we're going to have a worship service. And then the Lord said in verse 7, Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. He's speaking to Moses. They have quickly turned aside from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it. It's that first word we have for worship in the, in the uh, Old Testament. The word that where Moses went to Mount Moriah to have Shaka worship. He was going to bow down, bow low and worship. And that's what they were doing. They were having that kind of worship. And he was saying, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land 
uh, of Egypt. That's what they were saying. And God was not pleased. He was ready to destroy them all. And so we need to look at this very carefully and remind ourselves that we can have a service of worship in the church. You can say that it is a service of worship aimed at honoring God, but if it honors something else, it is detestable worship, defiling worship, abominable worship. In other words, you can miss what you're aiming at, and we may miss far more than we think. Now, that might not be a big thing to you and of that much importance. It really didn't bother Moses that much when he was having a conversation with God. He said, look, God, he said, you know, these are sort of stupid people. They, they just come out of, you know, they come out of South Mississippi. They come out of the south of Egypt. You know, they come from the land of Goshen. They don't know very much. And forgive us, we're, you know, when we, miss, when we miss the mark a little bit, just forgive us. And he said, God, please don't, don't destroy them. And God says, okay. He has this conversation. That's a conversation that went on between Moses and God. Moses didn't quite get the picture yet. He didn't quite understand the gravity of what was happening. And so look at verse 17, by the way. We're, we're in the next point. This should be verse 17 of Exodus 32 through 20. You'll see defiling worship honors something other than God. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, and by the way, the, the word means roar it's a roar uh, and uh, he said to Moses there is the sound of war in the camp Joshua said it sounds like war it's war there's war in the camp might have just been a Garth Brooks concert in Baton Rouge you read about the Garth Brooks concert where all the people were singing together and it registered on the Richter scale as an earthquake and, and you know when Garth it was a Garth Brooks concert no it was a worship service that's what, the, that's what Aaron said it was. It's a worship service. We're going we're to have a worship service. and We're going to shake the ground. We're going to move the earth. With, and they were moving the earth. Joshua said, sounds like war to me. And Moses said, well, it's not the sound of victory if it's war. And he said, uh, victory, might, by the way, means the sound of the strength of the might of God. That's literally what that means. It's not the might of God. And then uh, he said, it's, all, it's neither the sound of defeat. It doesn't sound like they've been whipped. It doesn't sound like weakness or prostration. It's the sound of singing that I hear. That's what Moses said. And so when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. He threw the tablets. He had the Ten Commandments. He threw them down and broke them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf. He burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it in the water, and made them drink it. Good thing, good picture of what we ought to do sometimes. We ought to grind our worship up and drink it and see how it makes us feel. Because it, it was not, whatever they were doing was not pleasing to God. This was defiling worship, detestable worship, abominable worship. Here's the next point. It doesn't mean it's a worship service even if there's a worship leader leading it. Because look who was leading this service of worship. What was his name? Aaron. Who is he ultimately? He's the high priest. He's leading a worship service. 
and they're singing, they've got a mosh pit. You know what? Y'all know what a mosh pit is, don't you? That's where everybody stands up and they raise their hands and they, they jump up and down. You can see that at a Garth Brooks concert. Uh, I know Mel's been to Rolling Stones maybe, and she's probably done that at a Rolling Stones concert. But it's not worship, and it's not worship at church because it gets all wrapped up in the singing, and you take singing, and you make singing a substitute for God. When you make anything a substitute for God, your organ, your stained glass windows, your preacher, your, your music, it's not worship because you're only worshiping the experience, and you've not even come close to recognizing the holiness and the majesty of the God that we serve. So, maybe I spent too much time on that. I'm sorry. But your worship will only rise as high as your own apprehension of who God is. Sometimes worship is defiled because our whole view of God is defiled. And so what we worship uh, the worship we offer to God is detestable and unacceptable. One final illustration, and that comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. The Lord said to them, he said, look, you, you're despising my name. You've despised my sanctuary. You've despised my table. You've despised my name. He, he, he does all of that in this passage of Scripture. And they say, How? And he said, well, you've said the table of the Lord is to be despised. He said, you hadn't come right out and said it, but you proved it by offering the blind for a sacrifice. It's evil. And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor and see if he would be pleased with it? Would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle a fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered for my name, and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. For you are profaning it, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit is to be despised. And of course, God goes on, he talks about all that, how their worship is unacceptable. And that's not a good thing. The measure of your worship and mine is not whether or not it pleases you. You need to mark that down. Write that in your hymn book somewhere. It's not about whether or not it pleases you. It's about whether or not it pleases God. And if it doesn't please him, it is defiling to his sanctuary, to his table, to his name, and to his people. As much as this so-called worship in the wilderness. Let's pray.